Hey Warriors and welcome back to another episode of Warrior Within. I do hope you guys are having a great week, at least a great start of the week. Um, as for us here, we're about to get you know, over 105 degrees, and that's without the index, um, and it's going to get pretty warm for the next few days, which has been very, very stressful. Um, haven't been able to get out too much, um, lucky for us in the apartment complex we're in we can walk around inside and there's somewhat air conditioning but with how hot it's been it's been actually really hard keeping things cool anyway you know you could pray for us pray for everybody in all the other states that are also having the similar issue of very high excessive heat warnings going on and that you know power will not go out that people will be able to keep power and keep air conditionings going keep fans going keep themselves as cool as possible uh one thing i kind of notice is not as sunny outside which means it's kind of cloudy which means it's not as intense heat but <clears throat> i do know that heat doesn't matter heat still can come so i pr i pray for those people that you know are struggling you know people that have already been sick and all of that it's it's pretty intense so anyway this week, um, I wanted to talk about David and Goliath, but I don't want to focus on like many people do. They focus on how God defeats Goliath and how God will defeat our giants that are ahead of us. Many times we, we focus on that because we sit there and we're just like, you know, we have this issue, we have this problem, we have this request of God, we have this this wall, this storm, whatever it may be, and we're, we're always so focused on getting past that, we don't pay attention to what's going on in the current situation while we're going through there. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about the faith that David had. You know, we look at David and Goliath, and if we were to focus on what's happening, we know that Israel and the Philistines have been waging war. The whole army of Israel is on one side. It has King Saul. It has many men, many men who are veterans, who have fought many battles. And then we have the Philistines on the other side, who have the same thing, many men many battles, and yet we know how much God has won battles on behalf of Israel with Israel. This is nothing new. This is nothing surprising, right? We know that God has asked Israel to fight wars that don't match up. Gideon, Joshua, we know that the possibility of God taking Israel, defeating the Philistines, easy peasy. So what makes this unique and different? Well, for one, there's a man that keeps coming out. He's a giant, huge, around, around eight foot tall. His name's Goliath. And he's challenging Israel, send a man to me, fight me one-on-one. -on -one. And you would think that any of these men of Israel, knowing how powerful God is and how, all the stuff that he has done, would just step up and do it, right? You know, 1 Samuel 17 is where this is all discussed. And verse 24 says, every time he comes out, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him 
they were much afraid. Why is David not scared? But the men of Israel are. You see, that's what I think makes this unique to really talk about the faith of David. Because have you ever stopped to consider why a 15-year-old rookie in life boy, rookie to war, had more faith in God than those who are vets, his brothers who, who are older, stronger, bigger, and even King Saul, who is the king of Israel. Why does he have more faith than they do about God having victory? You see, there, it, was, it was getting so bad that King Saul was offering anybody willing to step up against this giant riches and his daughter in marriage. But nobody would take the offer. Everybody was scared. But then there is David, 15-year-old, comes to give gifts to his brother from his dad, Here's this giant speaking out against God, against Israel. And we go to verse 31. It says, when the words that David spoke were heard, uh, well, sorry, let me go back. I forgot. To, it's, we want to talk about what David said about this Philistine. And verse 26, David said to the men who stood by him, uh, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? and takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is uh, this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. You see, he was like... <laughs> Guys, why are you scared of this man? He has no power. God is our God. Why are you struggling to step, step up, to stand in front of this giant and defeat him? Because of who we serve. And of course, his brothers were like, you know, bro, you know, hey, you know, you just came out of the, the you know, the wilderness. You were shepherding. You, you don't understand. But yet he still stood up and he said, what have I done now? What is it? What was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Out of fear. And we go to verse 31. And we get to, let's see. Get to the part where now Saul has heard somebody speaking up and saying, oh, they, they're willing to step up against this Philistine. And he's like, I'll oh, bring him over. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistines then. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. And David said back to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear 
I took a lamb from the flock. I went after him, struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. You know, this made me go, and I was kind of looking up for an article, a little simple article about, you know, shepherding back in that time frame. And it was quite interesting reading some of the stuff in there. And it's going to pop up on the Facebook page on Thursday. But there's, there's th things that I, I noticed that stood out. There's the rod, the staff, and the slingshot. A, a typical shepherd had all three. Um, the youngest of the family usually was the, sh the shepherd keeper. So that's why David was the one who was out there taking care of the sheep. Now, we've talked about the rod and the staff in a lot of ways. We, we were told the rod was used to, one, fend off any enemy, so wolves, bears, lions, even robbers. But we also know it was also used to maybe bop at the sheep to keep them in line to make sure they didn't, you know, stray off. And if they did stray off, you know, you would, you know, they, I heard that some people even said they would break the feet or the leg of the sheep that was being disobedient and he would put him around his shoulder and carry him. But I, I, I've heard of that. However, I don't, this did not talk about that. Um, but I wanted to point out that it's interesting that as king, David's job will be to protect and lead and discipline. And then you have the staff, which is more geared toward just as you're moving the sheep, you know, to kind of guide the sheep and kind of keep them aligned where they're supposed to go. Some had like a curve that was at the end so that they can kind of yank at a sheep that might be kind of going off a little bit off course and just kind of yank them staying back in line, right? And once again, the king's job is to lead people to focus on God, to guide them and, and drag them where they're supposed to be in some ways, to stay in line. But then the third one that stood out to me was the slingshot. Now, if you, if you know somewhat about the history of Israel, they actually were still using slingshots even today. They train their soldiers how to use one. And they're able to like pinpoint shot people with metal balls, is usually what they use now, and actually could kill somebody with it, but enough to maim people with it at high velocity with a slingshot. And we're talking a slingshot, not a gun, not a bullet shooter, swinging around slingshot yank throw type deal and you can hit people with it and they were pretty accurate with it so the idea that that was actually introduced as part of israel's army why does that matter for the shepherd well the shepherd in himself sometimes he wouldn't be able to just use his staff and rod to be able to fend but sometimes he would have to use a slingshot killing the enemy, scaring the enemy, um, doing everything you can to keep the enemy away. So the job of the king was to protect the flock, using an army, leading people in such cases to defend. But it also, I found out, used a guide. And it wasn't necessarily the guiding that I would, you know, someone say, hey, you know, come this way. It was more like I swing this, hit nearby that sheep, scare it to catch up to the crowd of sheep or keep it because like maybe it's trying to run off, hit in front of it, which then scares it to come right back 
cold. And I thought that was kind of interesting because in some ways telling someone, Hey, if you keep on going down this road and sin, this is going to happen to you. This could happen to your family. This can ruin things in some ways. I mean, that's scaring someone to kind of come back into the right lane, but it's not necessarily wrong to remind them of the consequences of sin. So there's a connection in understanding what David did as a shepherd and how we're supposed to be as men as well. But the key thing of this whole understanding is that God was preparing David for kingship. So David's faith was an everyday preparation of his day. Every day wasn't the same. Sometimes he would probably have days where nothing bad happened. Other days he would have something happen that just annoyed him. Like a, you know, a sheep runs off and now he has to put the sheep over in one area and has to go find that one sheep. Which is kind of ironic because that's kind of the image that God gives of himself. And what he has to do with us. So you see, David's time of shepherding, he, preparation. He also did a lot of music then, so worship time. He trained, because as he did things, as he walked, as he lift, as, you know, he was building up strength and, and growing into understanding of what it meant to be a leader. And then he had his version of experience. You know, that's the one thing I see a lot today is that pastors in many situations only look for men who had traditional training versus layman training. Some men are called to be in ministry who have never went to a Christian school, but just need a good shepherd them, to guide them, to keep them accountable, to encourage them to walk in the way that they're supposed to walk. You see, that's the, that's the daily thing that's, that's missing. And once again, is that discipleship. You know, and like I had told you guys before, I had been looking for like a pastor to disciple me into being a pastor. And I kept looking for years, but God was always training me the whole time. It wasn't traditional. You see, when we go and we look at David, when he comes and he's standing before all these men in Israel and telling him why you guys are scared of standing and defeating this guy, what is your problem? And we're talking about men who have literally been trained to fight. This should be a wake up call for all of you guys who are like, yeah, but I didn't, I'm not a pastor. I'm not, I'm not going to pastor school. I'm not, I know I don't have an education in Christian ministry. You know, how can I be a pastor? How can I lead a Bible study? How can I help my church? I don't have that skill. 
the point is that if you have been spending time in God's word, you're studying, you're praying, you're, 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 you're learning, you're growing, and you're allowing God to lead you, guide you, you are being trained. You are being prepared. And you're supposed to be taking what you've been learning and applying it to how you lead your family. Applying it to how you train up your children. Applying it in how you act at work. Applying it in how you act at church. Applying it in how you interact in your community. This is why I point out that your Sunday best look on Sunday shouldn't be just a gimmick. Shouldn't be just a show, a mask. If you're truly surrendering and following God, how you are in the shepherd fields should be the same in how you lead in every aspect of your life. In every situation that you come up to. See, God was preparing David, not for this moment with just Goliath, but for kingship. To me, Goliath was the moment where everything that he had been preparing, or I should say God had preparing him for, was this moment in which he would be, and it's, it's hard to say it this way, but recognized for what God has planned for him. To be king and a leader and a guide by his example I do believe God can prepare us for the moment, for certain moments in our time of life. You see that faith in this moment is taking all he learned, everything that David had been learning while out in the field, the songs that he was singing and praise and honoring and worship of God and seeing and all the things he's seen. So like the idea that he went out and when a, a lamb was taken, he went out and got the lamb. When, see, we go back to verse uh, 35. It says, and if he rose against me, I caught him by his head and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions, and you know, it said not just one lion, lions and bears, both are plural. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David continued to say, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver, from, deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul blessed him to go. He tried to give him armor, but once again, that image of the armor is the world's perspective, or I should say, the Christianese world trying to tell you, you need to go to school, you need to go to seminary before you can actually do this ministering stuff. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. It's also, oh, you need all this other preparation, you need all this other stuff outside the scriptures to be better at what God's given you to do. See, we're supposed to take the wisdom, but in reality, the foundation by which we stand is in God's word and who God is and his Holy Spirit, period. If you're starting to take in 
other people's ideologies as part of who your faith is supposed to be, you are missing out in understanding the scriptures and you don't really know God. And I'm afraid that today, because we have such a high influence of progressiveness and even the wokeness and these pastors who have filtered into the perspective that only pastors who have seminary degrees are really pastors. Pastors who have degrees are the only ones that could be pastors, that they are feeding that into the congregation. So we have a bunch of men who are called to be ministering in the church, whether it is not, I mean, they don't have to be a pastor, but ministering in the church as leaders, as Sunday school teachers, as Bible study group teachers, as mentors, as counselors as men of God who are supposed to be helping other men to lead just getting pushed to the side, sitting back, becoming passive because they think they need to have a Christian education, a degree education to do this when it's supposed to be the pastor's job to teach these men to lead. And so we lose opportunity of seeing men impacting the community of the church, impacting the community that they live in, impact the job life, because they're too busy trying to look like Sunday's best on Sunday, and then they don't change anything from Monday through Saturday unless they go to church, and then they, they play that part again. You know, the key thing that stood out to me, because if anything, because I know people have been talking about Proverbs, do the Proverbs stuff. If you want to practice reading the Bible, you can do the Proverbs for each chapter because it's 31. So you can do 31 days and 30 days type deal. And you can do that to get that idea in your head. But Psalms 119, one of the biggest chapters of Psalm, or I should say the biggest chapter there's a section I just want to read, and you could read all of it if you want to. There's a lot of sections, but we're going to go to verse 33. It says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Whole heart. That means surrendering all. All. Your whole life, everything should be submitted into the understanding of observing his law. Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline your heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, or I say my heart, to your testimonies, to, to your rules, to your principles, to your way of living, how I should live. So once again, submitting to his will. 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So take my mind away from worldly desires that I think matter more than you and make sure that I put you first. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. And this is not terrifying fear. It's terrifying like in the sense of like Halloween fear. This is the respectful fear because this is God, our Father, God, the King, God, the Lord Almighty. Understanding his power, his, his sovereignty, his existence in our life should not be taken lightly. Shouldn't be treating him like a human man, but treating him as the God Almighty. 
Uh, let's see. Verse 39. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Keep away things that should not be a part of my life. Ask for it. And verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts, and your righteousness give me life. You see, this is just a small portion. This is to give you understanding of David's faith. If you really spend time reading most of the Psalms, you will discover why David loved God so much. And you will discover why God calls him the, the one who chases after, which we're going to use that verse a little bit later, chasing after his heart, a man after his heart. Because the idea of us sticking to a life with that's like half effort where like church time is when we are really quote unquote Christian or Bible studies that we might do is quote unquote being Christian or we hang out in front of the pastor or when we're at the youth group dropping our kids off. Those, those are the only times where people are like, you know, Oh yeah, your brother so-and-so or, Hey, how are you doing? Oh, you know, <laughs> you know, living the life that God gave me. Like we, we play this acting job when we're supposed to be real you know i have my struggles but i could tell you this i'm the same person you meet here on the podcast same person you meet in person same person you'll meet in conversation that you will meet on discord that you will meet you know in the community it's the same type of person i don't i don't play act different people at different times so that's the key thing david what you saw when, if he was shepherding, is what you saw when he was standing before Goliath. It's the same David, because he lived his life for God. And he chased after him. And so when the time came, he stood in confidence. I take a quick moment, and there'll be a commercial, and then we'll continue. As we continue, so what did God see in David that made him the choice? Now, we know First Samuel 16 is where we're going to be heading. And we know at this point, because based off of the first verse, it says that the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I rejected him from being king over Israel? So we're at a point where... God's like, I'm done with King Saul. He has made his final resting point, his final decision. He has disobeyed me so much that I am going to take away his kingship and give it to someone else. And, you know, Saul, Samuel had been kind of sad. And, you know, I can understand that. You know, you, you, you hire someone or you know somebody that man, they're the perfect person for the job. They, they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, they seem to be uh, maybe, you know, in some cases it could be your daughter married, this guy that you thought was going to be the perfect godly guy for your daughter, and he ends up being a jerk and ends up 
hurting your daughter and maybe even they get divorced and he has no desire of repentance or change. And now you're like, man, <laughs> is there not a guy out there who loves God, right? Cause this guy seemed like he loved, loved God, loved my daughter, but he, he showed his true colors or that boss that you're like, man, this guy's going to be fantastic. And then he turned out to be a jerk. Or maybe you're the boss and you hired someone that, man, this guy is perfect for the job and he turned out to steal from you. Or maybe you're a pastor who you hired someone that was this amazing youth pastor and he turned out to be not who he was. You see, sometimes, you know, the, the intention where people can be in good, good choices for positions or jobs or situations, but things happen in their life that affects them. So they break or they choose sin or they, as people sometimes say, I fall into the temptation of sin and sin changes you. Even a good godly man, even, even myself could fall to, uh, fall to temptation of sin that could ruin me. You can too. And some of you have had gone down a really dark road, but still have discovered Christ in a way that, that he pulled you out of that mire and he has completely changed your life. Which goes back to the whole thing with my issues with some pastors these days. When other pastors fail, instead of helping them get back on their feet and restored, they basically put them out to the pasture to be eaten by wolves. Or people that are good pastors who have a minister's heart, who love God, but because they don't fit the tradition of what you, I should not like you guys as I'm talking to, but the pastor who acts like this, they don't like that the other pastor is getting liked more about the congregation or they don't like how they're not following the, I guess the way that they think it should be. So instead of building them up, they break them down. Or when they make a mistake, they kick them out instead of helping them. You know, we have we've fallen short from grace and redemption. And <clears throat> the thing is, God gave Saul plenty of chances to stay aligned with him and get back on track with him. And he... See, the thing is, that's where I think the problem is. I think we think that at a point, well, I should say not even to a point where it's like automatic, boom, you made a mistake, you're out. Where or even God with Saul gave him chances to repent and get back on track. And he would have probably blessed his kingdom and continue the line. But Saul continued to stay in sin, not change and not repent. Where we know with David, he made a horrible mistake, murdered someone, took his wife, but he repented and God forgave. You know, there was consequence, but God forgave. See, that's, I think, the key thing of understanding David's faith in God is that he feared God more than man. Saul kind of had a habit to kind of follow his desires more than God's. 
that, that vainglory. You know, one, one of these days I'm probably going to talk about it, but it's vainglory. Sometimes we use the statement of stop being so vain, but vainglory is, is that desire of being glorified basically over God. And Saul wanted that more. So he did what he did. He made his choices and God took away his kingship. So going back to Samuel for Samuel 16, um, we get to the point we know that, you know, Samuel's like, okay, fine. You know, I, I will look right. And we get to where God sends him to Jesse and Jesse starts bringing out his sons. However, the first son, Samuel's like, man, perfect size looks everything we're looking for in a king. And God points out to him. He says in verse seven, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So now we got to sit here and go, huh? So, if God's looking at the heart of the man and not the appearance, it doesn't mean that we just can look however we want. But the idea is that sometimes I have met people because I'm one of those people who was very shy growing up, who didn't like talking in front of people, said, I remember I will never be a pastor and I will never talk in front of people like that. And now here I am. You know, if you look at me, I'm a big guy. I'm a short, big guy. I'm not charismatic. I just obey God. I do what I'm, I, I, I want to do for him. You know, I'm asking him to lead. And I, you know, like I told you the story about the podcast, I was scared to do it. My wife encouraged me to do it. God kicked me to do it. And I had to be able to push that fear aside, step forward because I didn't feel I had anything to say that anybody would care about. I was a nobody. I'm a nobody. I am a nobody. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't have the, the, the cares, charismatic appearance that some of these great, you know, big pastors out there have. I'm not the tall brooding six foot, six foot two guy with the nice, perfect hair. I have no hair on top of my head and a, and a, and a beard. That's all I have. And, you know, I don't, I don't look like a typical pastor. So, but God called me to step forward in faith to do all this. And it could be because he saw my heart and he knows I have a minister's desire and other people, you know, I noticed in Hartford that I noticed that because I didn't understand it. Cause I was like, this is my first paid ministry job. And God kind of showed me that, you know, a minister's heart is this. It's not what you're seeing who stands in front of the pulpit this other side that needs to be taken care of, you know, just do a minister. Remember, cause you know, I told you guys this before there is, you know, the enemy is going to send things sometimes in your life. 
And those times you either can run and hide, you can fearfully, you know, respond, or you can angrily respond. And you're kind of taking away the honor from God and, and you're just responding emotionally or mentally or, you know, physically what you think is the best answer. And I remember when things were starting to get really rough, you know, part of me wanted to speak up. And I remember God just kind of saying, I'll take care of the battle. You just minister. I'll take care of the battle. You just minister. And so I chose to stay quiet. Of course, you know, sometimes my sarcasm came out. Sometimes I would passively, aggressively respond. And for example, the wolf in the church, she would suddenly start showing up with like all these notes on, on a piece of paper that she made. So I created my own with all the information I wanted to say and, you know, a section of notes to write down anything she had to say to criticize me because she always has something to criticize me with. And so I'd write it down. After a month of doing that, she stopped bringing hers because she realized, you know, that um, she wasn't winning anything, so it wasn't working. And she was only doing it to try to look like she was more prepared or able-bodied than I was. That was the only reason. So she stopped. I kept doing it because I wrote down conversations that went on and stuff, information so that I protect myself for one and to, um, to remember certain things. But anyway, that was kind of like what I would do because I, I, God wanted me not to fight the battle. So I would just minister and I would do my best sitting in those meetings when I knew at the end, somehow magically I would be the reason for something not working. Um, cause like she was just preparing, she was preparing that path to people to believe her more than me and, and to follow the passive so-called pastor's perspective on it too. So anyway, the whole point is that Saul was out, but now, you know, all these other brothers that are coming before Samuel were looking like the part, but God was like, not, not, nope. And then Sam was like, okay, Jesse, I'm sorry. But God said, no, do you have any other sons? And he's like, well, I mean, I have my youngest and he's shepherding. And it was like, okay, bring him. I'll, I'll, I'm going to stay here till he comes. So they went and got him. He stood before him and boom. Sam was like, he's the one. And David, you, you can see this all. This is all in 1 Samuel 16. <coughs> you know, David was anointed told you hey you're gonna be king um i don't know when's gonna happen but you're gonna be king and david's like oh okay and then you know boom we have the next big thing you know we know that uh we come to a point where we go down to verse 18 um let's see so david is in service with saul at this time because he heard that there is the shepherd you know jesse's son David, who was really good with music, and he was like, you know, really talented. And they were like, oh, okay, well, and Saul's like, bring him in. He told Jesse, I want your son. And Jesse's like, okay, send him in there, and boom, uh, David gets a job. Now he is the, I guess you could say, the bender of hearts for Saul. 
So, because we know in verse 14, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So, in other words, a uh, you know, enemy spirit is out tormenting Saul. So now we go down and we see that, you know, he had the ability to calm Saul's heart. So, that being said, you know, the, so the key thing is, that we have to understand about chasing after God. How serious are we about loving him first? Are we serious like Psalms 119 about keeping his commandments, his principles, his truth, standing firm in the faith? Because we can understand that we can see how David loved God, but do we follow suit? Do, do we stand with such vigor for God? You know, in Hebrews 11, it's verse 6 we're going to head to, it states, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. So seeking is part of the deal. We're supposed to seek after God. You know, because in 1 Samuel 13, 4, God basically told Saul, he said this, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So he goes right back to understanding that there's a reason David obeyed God, he followed God, he lived out for God. This comes from a true desire of surrender, submitting to God's will. David spent a lot of time in the field alone with the sheep. He fought, he defended, he led, he guided, he pulled sheep back in line. He would go and find the lost sheep. He, he was all in. Are you all in for God? What is keeping you from surrendering? What is keeping you from doing what you should be doing? Is it fear? Like Israel with Goliath? Is what he asking you too big of a choice, a change, a risk? Is it doubt? Do you think you can't do it? Do you think you don't have the skills for it? Because God can prepare all that. God can put you in a situation where you're getting trained, taught, and prepared, whatever he's calling you to. You see, it's, it's coming down to whether you're willing to say yes. David said yes out in the field. He was confident. He stood up for God because he was prepared, trained, and ready. So when the time came, he boldly stood. I will do it. And we all know, going back to that story, he put a stone in the sling. Goliath standing there, a sword on his side, shield on his hand, a spear <laughs> twice probably David's size. And he was like, you bring a boy in front of me? How pathetic is this God? And David stood and he goes, I will stand in front of you and I will boldly defeat you. God laughed. But we all know that when David swung that, that sling, he defeated him with one stone. Let that sink in, unintended. 
Israel defeated enemies prior many times over, but took a faith that a boy had to defeat one giant. And he took his sword, cut his head off, and held it as the Philistines saw that their champion was dead. They ran, and Israel chased. So not only did we see a boy lead an army to victory, but we got to see a young man who was willing to surrender his whole life to God's will become a a leader of men. You see, all it takes is for us to say yes when the time comes when God calls us to do something. That is the faith that David stood with. Yes, Lord, I obey. Yes, Lord, I will follow your commandments. Yes, Lord, I will sing praises to you. Yes, Lord, I will do as you ask. And I will live my life for you. Stop fearing. Stop doubting. Build up your faith by spending time in his word. Build up your faith by praying fervently for him. Seeking out his wisdom. Seeking out his truth. Seeking out what it is he wants of you. Start chasing after God. And throw that stone in confidence. That whatever may be ahead... You're willing to face the giants. You're willing to face the valleys. You're willing to face whatever it may be. Even though you feel right now a little bit scared, nervous, maybe, I don't, I don't know, I can do this, this doubt. But that's, that's part of our humanity. But we don't have to follow it or believe it. All we have to do is stop and ask. And then take that step throw that stone, and let God lead. Dearly Father, thank you for this day. I ask you bless these men and even the women that might be listening, that you may make things clear for their past, that there's stuff that they've been doubting on, been fearing about, that they should be doing. Allow them to chase after you so much that when you ask, they will just say yes. Be confident and throw that stone knowing that you have plans for them, that you will prepare them, or you have been preparing, they just don't realize the connection of the preparation like I didn't. Lord, build men of God who are willing to stand up for you and and remove that fear aside and in confidence with courage and strength throw that stone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a blessed week, and I will see you next time.